I'm Keith Tebow. Welcome to our special series, COVID-19 in Fall River, one year later. Thank you for joining us. When the pandemic hit, many of us were fortunate enough to continue to work, albeit from our homes as local businesses made adjustments to a new normal. However, many businesses were not so lucky as COVID restrictions forced closures and layoffs. We look at how some South Coast businesses survived, succumbed, and even thrived in the last year with Michael O'Sullivan and Rick Kidder, co-CEOs of the One South Coast Chamber. On this episode, we want to take a look at how the pandemic impacted our local business community. When Governor Charlie Baker uh, declared a state of emergency last March 10th, that set in motion a slew of business closings and reductions, causing many businesses to lay off employees, and some businesses ended up closing for good. Joining me to discuss the business aspects of the pandemic here on the South Coast is a, a pair of, of gentlemen who we've had on quite often over the past year to talk about uh, business aspects on the South Coast, Rick Kidder and Michael O'Sullivan, the co-CEOs of the One South Coast Chamber. Gentlemen, how are you today? We're great, Keith. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm, I'm doing well. Um, let me just ask both of you, and I'm asking everyone I'm interviewing for this series the same question. Um, you know, we've been dealing with this now for uh, over a year, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, as we're recording this. And, you know, looking back at how it all started, it, it's different for different people. So, Michael, let me ask you first. Um, when did you first hear of the virus? And did you sort of put two and two together right away that this could be an issue for uh, our local our local business community? Um, no, I definitely did not put two and two together initially, realizing the extent that this could the problem could become. I definitely did not. Uh, I don't remember exactly when the first time I heard of COVID-19 or coronavirus. I can't say that that stands out in my mind, but I, but I'm not, I definitely uh, did not see it growing to what it, what it did. Yeah. Rick, how about you? <laughs> uh, I would love to tell you, Keith, that, that the moment I heard about coronavirus and COVID-19 that I knew exactly what was going to unfold. Uh, reality is I knew nothing about what was going to unfold. When I first heard about uh, coronavirus, COVID-19, uh, it was certainly at a time when it was in Wuhan, China. Uh, I, I heard about it, didn't really register as anything except, thank goodness that's not here. Uh, and then the next thing you know, it is here. Uh, and our lives were turned upside down in an, an alarmingly quick rate. And, you know, I think that's the same for all of us. Uh, you know, we were following the news at the time and then, uh, you know, we, we saw that it was spreading and, you know, we heard about some some cases here in the United States. But, you know, even President Trump at the time was saying, oh, we only have three cases or 15 cases and and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, and then it became a big deal very, very soon. I mentioned uh, that date of March 10th uh, when Governor Baker declared a state of emergency. And again, that set in motion uh, many executive orders. And, you know, Rick, let me start with you with this next sure. one. You know, when when there started to be, you know, widespread uh, closings, uh, what was what were you hearing from from some members? Uh, because many of them didn't know, one, how long it was going to last. Right. And two, what the impact would be. 
Well, I think for most of us, when we first heard about the closings, we thought, okay, there's a period of time, and I'll put Mike and me into this category because we were exactly the same thing. There's a period of time when we're going to have to be careful and we're going to have to close a few things, uh, but it's going to be short lived. We'll get past this. Uh, I think Mike will tell you, uh, I think he and I worked on something in the order of seven different budgets over the course of this period as the pandemic spread and as it became longer and longer. And I think for the business community, uh, there was kind of shockwave after shockwave after shockwave uh, that was followed by uh, a, a sense of reality that this thing is big. It's important. Uh, we have to be careful. We have to be vigilant. And we have to do the right things. And I think there was generally real faith in the governor's leadership uh, that he wasn't closing things willy-nilly. Uh, that we were actually going about something that actually followed the science. Yeah. And Mike, let me ask you, you know, when you started hearing from local businesses, um, you know, as a chamber, I'm sure you want to help your members. But even in those early days, there, there was really, uh, you really didn't know what was going on yourself. So it must have been difficult to take those questions and try to help them when you didn't even know what the path would be. It, it was very difficult, you know, um, the first the first wave of questions was what is what is uh you know what kind of business can stay open and you know and we didn't know if the chamber could stay open and actually ultimately the chamber couldn't stay open um and it was so there, there was a lot of different things that, that were out there that we just could we didn't we had no idea and we were getting questions that we didn't we, we couldn't we could not predict these questions we had no idea what they were and we we just did the best we could to answer them tried to work our way through it and eventually the government started to roll and you know and things were you know they were making decisions that you know um you know making changes to unemployment making all the adding all the eidls and the ppps and all those things but in the beginning it was just we had no idea what we were looking at and, you know, let, let me ask you, you know, as things went along into into April and you were seeing the impacts of, of business uh, closings, what was, um, Rick, what, what was the message you were sending out to, to your members in terms of, you know, hey, we're, we're following this, we're going to provide the information, I guess, what kind of messaging could you provide when it when it became a little clearer that, you know, some segments of the business community would be more impacted than, than others? You know, that was actually one of the one of the tough parts, because neither Mike nor I uh, is a public health expert. Uh, so we had to rely on the public health experts. We had to rely on our elected leadership to assist us. Uh, and our primary function became getting information out to our membership. Uh, and then it became for us pivoting ourselves so that we could find different and creative ways that we could serve the membership and still be able to. Uh, to do in addition to that, add value. Uh, so the chamber had to go through a lot on its own, but as when it came to serving the member, the best thing that we could do was to get the right information in their hands and then be on the other end of that phone or the other end of that email when somebody contacted us and said, I don't know what to do. Uh, and there were always resources for us to be able to put them with people who could help them. Uh, but in the midst of that, of course, there was a tremendous amount uh, that the federal government and, the, and state governments and local governments had to do to adjust to all of this. 
And actually, while it seems that government normally moves at a glacial pace, uh, it's actually remarkable how quickly resources came to bear to help businesses keep their doors open. There will be, and we still don't even know the extent of what that fallout is going to be in terms of business closures. Uh, but what we do know is that uh, we could be there to help them get the answers they needed. And that was really our, our best, our best and greatest strength. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of what we were hearing um, throughout the, the early portions of the pandemic um, had to do with uh, retail, had to do with restaurants, had to do with in our region. And I'll get into this a little bit, you know, the, the tourism industry, which is a big part of what yes. we rely on here in, in, in the South coast. Um, and, and, you know, for many of those businesses, they, you know, as of the middle of March 2021, they're still not fully back or back to where they want to be, um, you know. And, and then, as you said, Rick, the federal money uh, started coming in, the PPP and, and what have you. So, so, so Mike, um, what, what, what pivoted in terms of the Chamber's work to uh, provide support, but also, as Rick mentioned, provide that link uh, to resources for, for your members? As we pivoted, the real the real key for us in the, in the beginning was we pivoted away from events and we didn't really start up any virtual events for you know, like another month or six or eight weeks, something along those lines. The real pivot for us, as Rick had mentioned earlier, was just making sure people knew what resources were available. And we had to make sure we knew what resources were available so when those calls came, we could try to connect the people. And, and as you know, you federal, state, government, local government, we're all working, you know, day and night to try to figure things out. Um, and we were right there with them, just trying to make sure that people knew and people understood uh, what was available. And, and I know that, um, and either one of you can answer this. Yeah, I, I know that, um, you know, uh, we're uh, another segment of this program. We're speaking to the nonprofit. Um, obviously, the chamber is also a nonprofit, but the nonprofit social service yes. sector uh, of our region, the United Way and Citizens for Citizens, who were helping individuals, uh, residents uh, get through uh, the pandemic. And they talked a lot about collaborations among themselves. Uh, they came together. They met regularly. Was that the same, uh, Rick, in, in, in the business community in terms of speaking with uh, other chambers across the, the Commonwealth, as well as other small business development agencies and the like to, to pool resources and expertise to get people through this? Absolutely. <clears throat> the one thing that we knew from the very beginning, Keith, is that, is that neither Mike nor I would, or, or nor our team were going to have all the answers. Um, I'm really proud of the fact that at no point did we ever put anything out to our membership that we later had to retract, uh, which meant that we were doing a good job at sifting the information, getting it out and getting it to people. Uh, but one of the things that, that uh, you know, uh, they talk about necessity as the mother of invention, but, but when it comes to times of hardship, it's astounding how collaborations can form. Whether you're talking about the South Coast the South Coast Community Foundation and it's spearheading its programs around helping people with food insecurity, the United Ways of both of the major communities. Uh, when you start looking at the way people came together, they came together and they actually had, they've always had a special purpose, those social service agencies, but their special purpose became really focused at this period of time. And they were able to uh, set aside if there was any turfiness 
there at all. They were able to set that aside, work together in order to get the job done because the food insecurity was real. Unemployment is real. Uh, and these folks did an astounding amount to help bridge that gap. I want to talk a little bit about the the PPP. Um, we've had, I think, this will be now the third iteration in some way, shape, or form, the, the recent bill that was passed by Congress that uh, President Biden has signed uh, into law, $1.9 trillion, obviously providing uh, benefits for individuals in terms of another $1,400 in stimulus, uh, extended unemployment, uh, child care benefits, uh, and the like. But when it comes to business, uh, Michael, how important was uh, that money for the businesses of the South Coast to continue to pay employees as best they could um, and to, as much as they could within the health and safety protocols, keep their doors open? Uh, it was incredibly important. You know, the, um, the PPP itself just, it, it really helped so many organizations, not just not-for-profits, but, but uh, you know, for-profit businesses as well, but it really helped them. It, it just helped people you know, just, just survive. There were so many, so many different types of organizations and sizes of organizations that it really it, it kept the money in the economy, prevented layoffs, uh, and it really, really did help tremendously. I think, to be honest, and I can add to that, um, Keith, I think, to be perfectly honest with you, had it not been for some of those programs, whether it was the EIDL whether it was the the PPP, had it not been for some of those programs, there there we we would not be surprised if we picked up the the newspaper a year later, and half of the small businesses in our region had closed their doors. Yeah, that's how important all of that was in order to keep this economy moving. The stimulus checks are wonderful because people have a tendency, thankfully, to recycle those into the economy and to support those businesses. And we strongly encourage people when they receive those dollars, spend them wisely, but to spend them spend them locally, uh, and make sure that we do what we can to, to continue to support and prop up those small businesses. And I know that as a as someone who uh, likes to look at data, uh, that when you look at you know what happened for local business, um, you know we 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 held our our breath in April and May when unemployment numbers came out and they were just astronomically high uh, because people were closing the doors, laying people off, hopefully on a temporary basis, as that PPP started coming in. And then in the summer when things opened up uh, again, those unemployment numbers, you know, as of March, they're still at a level higher than they were a year ago, but they appear to be going in the right direction. And I think that's, that's important, important to note as well, right? Yeah, so all of you know, PPP and EIDL all contributed to the fact that those numbers are not in the teens right now, because they would have been in the teens if we didn't have those programs. Right, right. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about the South Coast uh, in particular. Mm -hmm. um, we have had many discussions, and again, I want to thank the, both of you for joining me on a regular basis. Uh, there was a point there we were talking almost weekly uh, to get updates for for people in, in our region. Uh, about the impacts. And, you know, we talk a lot about restaurants, um, you know, retail by and large, large box stores, supermarkets were still open, but there was an impact there. Um, and, and Rick, we talked about tourism. Are, are those, were those the big, the big industries in our region that were particularly impacted uh, by, by the shutdowns that we're still seeing today? Sure. Uh, to be honest with you, nobody was unaffected, uh, right. but 
everyone that everyone that you mentioned actually was was yes at significantly adversely affected. I think what people don't realize is how much our healthcare system was so adversely affected um, because of the suspension of elective elective procedures and whatnot it made it almost impossible uh, for them to reach their numbers. Uh, but when you start when you start looking at the way this this economy in the South Coast works, uh, we really we we needed that support in order to keep it going. And I really, I, I'm, I'm unsure, and Mike, you may want to weigh in on this. Uh, I'm unsure whether our base industries would have been able to survive. Um, fishing, of course, was there. There was a lot of, of, of that base industry stuff that was working, but a lot of them would not have been able to have the support because the markets wouldn't have been there. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, there's, there were some that would definitely would not have survived. But there are also also some others that <clears throat> that actually thrived through the process. Yes, you can't forget that there are some businesses that actually thrive throughout this process. The needs for their products and services, uh, or the way they pivoted, um, really helped them tremendously. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah that was actually going to be my next question. Yeah. You know, um, there were success stories. Uh, we had the opportunity. I think the three of us were, were yeah. here, and we talked with Charlie Merrow. Mm -hmm. um, and things that were happening in Merrow Manufacturing where they started producing PPE. Um, and there were other uh, examples of that. And, you know, talk about that, Rick, in terms I of, will. you, you know, know, yeah, please do. It's actually kind of interesting, Keith, because uh, many of us spent infinitely more time at home than we'd ever spent at home before. Uh, most of us who are conditioned to getting up in the morning, leaving and coming home and then uh, relaxing and having dinner, that was our life. Uh, now we spend a lot of time at home and home repair, home remodel, all of those things suddenly became very, very popular businesses uh, because people were spending an infinitely longer period of time at home and home was becoming their base of operations for both work and play. And so it became, it, that's one of those industries that did astoundingly well. Uh, we were talking about tourism before. Tourism obviously took it on the chin. That's a $600 million impact in Bristol County alone, just the lack of tourism. But some of the, interestingly enough, I was talking to some of the extended stay hotels, they did a pivot and they became housing for essential workers. And so they were able to, to be able to work their way through it. Um, but it's interesting, some of those industries, I don't think there is such a thing as an economic event without winners and losers. Uh, for the reality of it, most of us lost, but there were some winning, some winners in there, and and bless them for it, because uh, they were able to turn uh, a a a sow's ear into a really nice silk purse. The old uh, lemons into lemonade uh, analogy, as as well, no doubt about that. Um, Mike, were there were there any instances, you know, as, as Rick said, you know, everyone was impacted uh, by the pandemic and continues to be so in one way, shape, or form. Um, you know, we're hearing a lot about how minority-owned businesses may have been impacted a little more in some ways than others. Um, was that something that you saw as well at the chamber in terms of some of our minor minority-owned businesses um, having a, a more difficult time, maybe navigating some of the the the, the benefits that they could receive? Um, the the minority-owned businesses definitely had more difficulty navigating things. Um, uh, that that was a real challenge, and you know we tried to help, and we tried to get folks that could help, 
uh, in some, in many cases, it was a language barrier, um, you know, that we tried to provide help with. Um, but yes, their minorities definitely struggled a lot more. Um, you know, and a lot of a lot of minorities, some many of the minorities, they, they prefer to keep cash on hand. They don't necessarily like to use a bank per se, and and the banks, um, it, in some cases with PPP and EIDL, they didn't want to lend the money um, if they didn't have an existing banking relationship. So that that made it a little more difficult as well. Yeah, uh, Rick, let me ask you now about the chamber. Um, sure. You know, you also had to pivot um, we as well, and and we talked many times. You mentioned how you know you and Mike were you know came up with about seven different budget scenarios throughout the entire the entire process a lot of what the chamber does um is is people facing right events and the like talk about how you as a chamber uh pivoted to still meet the meet the needs of of your members well and it's funny keith because um i, I think what a lot of even even mike and i forget uh, we existed as a single entity for two months before COVID hit and so we came together as one South Coast chamber in January, uh, built what we thought was the world's most logical budget uh, that was both uh, conservative and but also had aspirational and then turned around and the world went upside down. So the the staffing issues that we had were were significant when it came to because if you look at a budget of a nonprofit like us, uh, we don't have money tied up in inventory. Our money is tied up in our people. And so we ended up having to make quite a few adjustments, uh, not only for ourselves, but we made adjustments. Uh, we, we did lose a couple of positions uh, in the process of this. We probably gained some efficiencies along the way, but you never want to lose people. Uh, and then we ended up having to build a program of work uh, that would that would support our economic expectations, uh, which we did. Uh, but I think like the businesses that have done the best are the ones that have managed cash the best. Uh, cash is king. And we were able to, and we, with the strong support of our executive committee, who sometimes pushed Mike and me to the difficult decisions that we didn't want to make. Uh, but they helped us along in that process of making sure that from a cash perspective, we started, we started strong and we stayed strong to allow us to make sure that we're here for, for the next millennium. And I know, Mike, uh, you know, in discussions we've had over the past year, um, that first round of PPP, um, nonprofit organizations like yourself, a trade organization, was not eligible for some of that, that early money. Um, and, you know, you had to rely more on your memberships and those memberships being renewed. And I know that there were a number of membership drives. Talk a little bit about how uh, the chamber was impacted, uh, if at all, in terms of membership. Um, well, the first part of your question, Keith, was we, we were actually not eligible for PPP until January of this year. Um, so, so we really went, you know, we went, we really went a long time without it. Um, we were able to secure some PPP funding in January, which which has been very helpful. Um, but our membership, um, you know, last year we had a new member drive that brought in about 80 members in uh, in January, the end of January. This year we had a new member drive, and we really had to change it up a lot. But it brought in it brought in a little over 50 members this year, 
which we were really happy with. We were going into it considering the state of COVID. We we would have been satisfied with 30, and we ended up with a little bit over 50. So we were very, very pleased with, with the efforts uh, of, of our team and our board, and we came up with some new creative ways of you know sponsoring new members as opposed to just new members paying us for their membership. Because uh, many small businesses right now, they can't afford it. But if you have a, some of the larger businesses came up and sponsored uh, four new members each, and uh, and it's really been very, very helpful. So we changed, we really changed how we handled that. And, and we were very successful as a result. And you know, Keith, if I can add one more thing onto that, um, Mike, Mike alluded to it, but uh, we can't thank our sort of larger members enough uh, because they not only stayed with us, uh, but they honored commitments of sponsorship, all of those things, even though events were virtual, uh, they honored all of that in order to help keep us solid. Uh, and as Mike had said, they've even gone so far now as to, as to support the membership dues of other uh, small of small business members who might find that out of reach. So we're pretty excited about the way we have received support uh, and can't be more grateful for those folks who stayed with us. As we wrap up, we've got about five minutes or so left. I want you both to take out your crystal ball and uh, sort of look ahead if we could. Um, Rick, let me start with you. Um, you know, the vaccines are out there. Uh -huh. uh, as we record this, the COVID numbers are, are going in the right direction in terms of infections. Um, when do you think we could be back to somewhat sem some semblance of normalcy? And, and what will that mean in terms of, uh, in general, a business community here on, on the South Coast? Um, you know, that's a, that is crystal ball stuff, but I can tell you that's going to begin with needles in people's arms. Uh, when we reach the point where the vast majority of the folks around us uh, have been vaccinated, and Mike and I are both lucky, we got our first shot. Um, when, when everyone around us is, is vaccinated, we're going to feel a lot more comfortable. Uh, what we know is that there's going to be a time lag between the time there's a lot of pent up desire to get together, but there's going to be a, a time lag for people's comfort uh, to make sure that this thing is on its way out. Um, but we're looking at, and and we're pretty well assuming at this point that, that come summer, um, we're likely to see a return to complete in-person kinds of events that we used to have. They may be scaled down. They may look a little bit different. Uh, but I think at this point, maybe by summer, by fall, we'll be there. Uh, we're going to be testing the waters on that in, in the in months to come within the governor's guidelines. Uh, but we're going to be testing the waters on that and see how, see how it goes. Um, we want to be safe. We also want to be a model for good behavior. Uh, so we will continue to do so. And, and I believe that by summertime, we're going to see something closer to normal. And Mike, let me ask you, as we you know go, go on into 2021, even past the summer, um, are there going to be opportunities also available to some local businesses um, that may have, you know, uh, were maybe looking at expanding back in 2019, early 2020? Do you think those opportunities for growth uh, will exist uh, later on this year? I think they'll start to come back um, later on this year. You know, to Rick's point, of, you know, the end of the summer, the end of the summer is probably, I think, is going to be a key time. 
we're going and I think we're going to see, you know, 2021, September 2021, when the kids go back to school, hopefully it's all, everybody's back all at the same time, all, you know, all full time, not virtual. Um, I think that's going to be the first that, that that could be the first time that the world feels more normal than it has in a long, long time. Um, and then that's when I think that you, you can start to look for things like growth and and, uh, and additional opportunities for businesses. A lot of it's going to depend upon the, um, you know, the consumer confidence and the consumer's um, willingness to go out and be out and, you know, and shop and to be closer in, you know, in more more of a crowd and that sort of thing. But I think we're going to start to see that in the fall. I think also some, some of what we've learned through this pandemic, that things like this technology, Zoom, et cetera, works, uh, we're not going to see it go away. Uh, we may be doing less of it for event kinds of things, uh, but there's some real efficiencies that businesses have learned as the result of being able to log into a meeting from their desk as opposed to get in their car and drive somewhere. Um, we're going to see some changes along those lines. We may see some interesting challenges, uh, particularly in Boston, but it may be true, uh, may be true elsewhere as well uh, in the commercial real estate market. We may see more people who, uh, f quite frankly, work in Boston, but they'll be able to work from their home in Westport or be able to work from their home in Dartmouth. And it, it could significantly change uh, our own residential real estate market. You know, and one of the things that we didn't bring up here, and we're sort of running out of time, this could be something for another a future uh, episode, is the impact on, on retail. Uh, many of us are buying things on our computers more than we ever have, whether that will translate and continue moving on and how that may impact br brick and mortar. I think we'll save that for another time. But I want to appreciate uh, Rick and, and Mike for joining us. I know we've been uh, great partners over the past year, and I look forward to furthering our conversations um, as time goes on to share the view of business here in the South Coast. So thank you for joining me. I appreciate it. My thanks again to Michael O'Sullivan and Rick Kidder of the One South Coast Chamber for joining us for this episode. You can check out all episodes of this series in audio and video form from our website, frmedia.org slash one year later. I'm Keith Tebow. Please stay safe. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.